Erev Tov, good evening. There's a few more people that will eventually show up, but for those of you who are on Zoom, please know that when I look to my left, I'm looking at you. Uh, and just have that in mind for the rest of the season as we do it. That we are finally learning together uh, here in the Bermidash. <coughs> We are in the Mishneh Torah, so if you have the book in front of you, it's going to be page Lamed Chet. Lamed Chet, 38. And you want to go down. Well, let's, let's read again from the top of the page, so we'll remind ourselves what we're doing. Right now we're discussing the oral transmission of the Halakha. So how the Halakha got from Moshe Rabbeinu and Avshalom all the way down until the Chachamim of the Mishnah and the Talmud, which is where we're working our way towards. And so many of these names are familiar because we've stopped on every one of these names and we've read them. On the top of the page, the second word, Yehoyada HaKohen, Yehoyada the priest, Kibel Melisha Ubedino. They received the oral law from Elisha and his Betadin. And Zechariah received it from Yehoyada. Vosheah, the prophet, kibel me Zechariah uvedino. He's the next link in the chain. Who's the next? The Amos, kibel me Hosheah uvedino. The prophet Amos, who we spoke about, received from Hosheah and his betadin. Vishayah, kibel me Amos uvedino. And Yishayah, the prophet, Yishayahu, also known as that. Sometimes you hear Chizkiah, Chizkiahu. Yishayah, Yishayahu. It's the same person. It's just sometimes with an extra letter and sometimes uh, without. Now we're up to the next link in the chain. The next person that comes in the line of oral transmission is Micha. Umicha kibel Mishaya uvedino. And Micha the prophet receives his prophecy from Yishaya and his Betadin. Now this may confuse some people who are familiar with the Tanakh because it seems for whatever reason, and I've read different theories as to why, the order of the Nevi'im is that Micha doesn't come next in terms of how the books are set out inside of the Torah, in the Tanakh. But in reality, chronologically, Micha is next. So after Yishayahu comes Micha, alav shalom. And there happen to be similarities there, which we're going to discuss between Micha and Yishayahu. But those are in two important personalities that we need to see side by side. And I've decided today to focus on Micha, only on Micha. There's so much to learn about Micha, but at the very least, to have one shi'ul about him. We'll be doing this for a while, which is taking a personality found here in the Mishneh Torah and going through everything that we can in their life in one shi'ul. The reason for this is not to delay, it's not to stall reaching the Mishneh Torah, but it's twofold. The first is very practical. I feel that very often, and not only is there no literacy in the Jewish community as to who are the personalities that we're quoting, but sometimes we have a situation where people quote people, but they have no idea who they actually are. They quote the Nevi'im, they quote the Tanaim, they quote the Amoraim, but they have no idea who they are. And then people have this thing, well, who cares what the Rambam says? My rabbi said X, Y, or Z. Who cares what Hillel and Shammai said? My posek said X, Y, and Z. It's an interesting question. I mean, between, no offense to your rabbi, 
between him and the Rambam, between uh, uh, him and, and Hillel and Shammai, uh, come on, you, what are you going to compare the two? But only a person who thinks that the Rambam maybe lived yesterday and his knowledge was very similar to my rabbis can then make such, reach such conclusions. When there are prophecies, words of Nevi'im, the prophet screamed for Am Yisrael to fix themselves. And Am Yisrael just doesn't. And then you open up the Jewish news and you hear what's going on in the Jewish community and you say, why did nobody listen to Micha? Why did nobody listen to Yishayahu? What happened to Yirmiyahu's prophecy? Everything that he tried to fix is still a problem in the Jewish community today. And because we're ignorant of their life and who they were, we also are ignorant of the messages that they tried to teach us. And that brings me to the second reason of going through these personalities. We replaced the writing of Rabbeinu Avraham ben Arambam, the book Hamaspikala of the Hashem, the guide to serving God, with the Mishneh Torah. More often than not, Mishneh Torah is studied purely as a legal code. Halachot. And whereas I cannot take away from the Mishneh Torah that it is a legal code, there are so many elements inside of the Mishneh Torah. Imagine just like in the Talmud, there's a halakha and an Agadah. So too, there is a halakha and Agadah inside of any work of halakha, but especially the Mishneh Torah. And I'm trying to extract from here teachings, life teachings, lessons, things that we can walk away with from the lives of these Nevi'im. So it would be remiss to mention Micha and then walk away just like another name. To focus today on who is Micha, who was Micha, what did Micha want from us as Am Yisrael. And that's something that we're going to do tonight. We're going to figure that out right now. So let's talk about Micha. Micha, Hanavi, now maybe you want for the next few weeks while we're going through the rest of the Nevi'im, to bring along a Tanakh. If you have an art scroll Tanakh, for example, I'll announce page numbers there, just because that's the edition I have here in the Bedeknesset, and I use it. If you're at home and you have an, a Tanakh with you, you want to look for the Prophet Micha in the art scroll, it's on page 1376, 1376. But if you click in Safaria and you go to Micha the Navi, you go to uh, Tanakh, Prophet Micha, you'll find it there. The book of Micha is not so long. It's not like other books of the Navi, especially compared to Yishayahu. It's not long at all. But it's powerful. And it's packed with some very important messages. I think the first thing that sticks out about Micha, let's look at the first Pasuk. On page 1376, in the art scroll in the Rambam, it's on page Lamed Chet. Devar Adonai Asher Haya El Micha Hamorashti, Bimeyotam Achaz Yichiskiya Malchei Yehuda, Asher Chaza Al Shomron Virushanayim. This is the word of Hashem that came to Micha, Hamorashti. Hamorashti, there are different understandings of what is Hamorashti. Most likely, it's referring to the place from which he comes. If you recall, we mentioned from the Talmud, Masechet Pesachim, There are four prophets who prophesied in the same time. Who were they? Veluhem, Hoshea, Yishayahu, Amos, and Micha. These Nevi'im were all around the same time period. They were Nevi'im together. 
meaning in the same period of history. They spanned the kingdoms of more than one king. And Asher Chazan Shomron Yerushanaim, which the words of Hashem, which he prophesied, which he saw regarding Shomron Yerushanaim. Now, he doesn't only prophesy about Shomron Yerushanaim, there are relevant messages here to the nations of the world as well. But let's say that primarily, Micha came to speak to Shomron Yerushanaim. What's unique about Micha? And I don't know that I have a source from Chazal exactly to tell you this. But in observing Micha and reading about those who wrote about Micha Hanavi, it does not seem to be that Micha comes from some important family. If we're going to compare him to Yeshayahu, for example, let's think about Yeshayahu Navi. Chazon Yeshayahu ben Amotz. We said who was Amotz? The family of Amatziah. He was royalty. Yeshayahu comes from the royal family. That's why, unlike Yirmiyahu Hanavi, nobody bothered to touch him. What they did to Yirmiyahu Hanavi, Hashem Yishmo, because he wasn't, he wasn't related to anybody special. He didn't have what they called protectia. But when it comes to Yirmiyahu, uh, Yishayahu, Yishayahu is Chazon Yishayahu ben Amot. He's from the royal family. Of course they leave him alone. They don't want to get in trouble. Micha here comes right afterwards. Who is Micha? It doesn't even tell us his father's name. Most likely because we don't know anything special about Micha's father. Micha is a Navi who's not from Yerushalayim. Micha HaMorashti. Morashti is a, some, some small place, not significant enough that we know about it on our map. He's a Navi from a small town from, let's just say, a small family in terms of stature. And he's Micha Hanavi. He's Micha, who's the next link in the chain in our oral transmission. Micha, Micha who visions, prophecies over Yehudan Yerushalayim. I have another understanding of why Micha is not from such a famous family. You'll see over and over and over again. He refers to Ami, 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 my nation, my nation, my nation. Micha Navi considers himself from the people. He doesn't come to the people from on top. He comes to the people from inside of them. In fact, most of his nivot, even though he's talking about corruption in the government, he's talking about corruption in the kingdom, he doesn't actually go prophesy to any of those kings. It doesn't seem like his primary conversation is with the leadership as much as it is with the people. Micha has a hard life prophesying. We're going to read about that in just a few minutes. Micha goes through some difficult times. Micha is also the first prophet to talk about the destruction of Yerushalayim Yerakodesh. He talks about the destruction of Jerusalem. He's the one to introduce his idea. So much so that you see other people a generation later who are still shaken up by the prophecy. When the Bet HaMikdash is destroyed, Micha is the only prophet that I know of in the Nevi'im who is referred to by a different book of the prophets. They say, do you remember what Micha told us? Do you remember what he warned us? 
And we didn't listen. And that's why we're here. That's why we're still in this problem. Before I go through some key prophecies of Micha, let me just share with you a little bit about who he was and what he was. Like I told you, un unlike how it is chronologically, the book of Micha is placed between the book of Yonah, which we read on, the book of Yonah, which we read on Yom Kippurim, very good, and the book of Nahum, which we're going to talk about. He talks a lot about both the destruction and redemption, so both Chuban and Nechama, like most of the prophets. But primarily what Micha deals with is corruption in the government. I think it's very fitting for our history right now, where we're in in the current events, to look at what the Nevi'im said about leadership. Everybody wishes to tell me who is a leader according to the Torah, who is the right leader according to the Torah. We're talking about people who have no knowledge of the book of Micha. Any of them. So how can they properly be good leaders for anyone? Look at the problems that Micha is concerned about. We're going to read them together. Look at the way that the nation reacts to Micha's prophecy. If you look here, in Perig Bet, the second chapter of Micha. He starts to speak out against corruption. Woe to those people who think about evil things while they're laying in their beds. When they wake up in the morning, they execute all of those bad things they thought about in their dreams, in their beds. Because they have power. It's one thing for a person to think, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and they, they don't have the power to do it. But these are powerful people who in their beds, they're comfortable, they're busy plotting how they're going to destroy the world. And the next day they wake up, and they do it because they have the power to do it. They see someone's field, they take it. They want it, they take it. They see someone's house, they steal it. And they oppress a man in his household, a person in his heritage. These are people who nothing is sacred to them. Everything that they want is theirs. It's a sense of entitlement. But it's not just entitlement as in, I believe that it's mine. I have the power to take it away from you. And I will. And therefore Hashem said, this is the Navi now telling you what HaKadosh Baruch Hu says. And this is Hashem speaking now. Hashem speaking against powerful people who use their power to oppress other people. I am planning evil against this family. This evil family. I'm not speaking to you. I'm simply reading the words of the Navi. Evil that you'll never be able to pull your necks out of. They will never be able to pull the necks out of. They will never be able to stand up straight again because it will be bad for them. 
Rabbanit, do you see people are trying to join? Yes. Okay. Look on Pasuk Vav. What do the people tell Michal when they, he preaches to them? Al tatifu yatifun. Lo yatifu le'ele lo yisag rimot. Do not preach, they preach. They shall not preach to these people so that shame shall not overtake them. Don't speak to us. Don't call us out on Ravirot. What right do you have to speak to me? They tell the Navi Micha, keep your message to yourself. We don't care about honesty. We don't care about truth. Says the Kadosh Baruch Hu, He'amur bet Yaakov, ha'katsar ruach Adonai, im ele ma'alalav, halot devarai yetivu im hayashar holech, should this be what the house of Yaakov speaks? Has Hashem become uh, short, uh, short, uh, short-spirited? Is this the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu is? I am good, says HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to someone who walks in Hayashar. They walk straight forward, that's with righteousness. Which kind of Nevi'im do Am Yisrael like? Which kind of Nevi'im? Look. They like the preachers who tell them, go drink wine, go get drunk, go have a good time. They like those Nevi'im. Micha says, I'm speaking to a nation that is not receptive to my message. I'm telling them, how dare you treat people in an evil way? And they're busy listening to people who approve of their actions. Throughout our history, so much of the evil that has happened has been signed off of, approved by whatever local religion was in that place. We let you steal from people. We let you murder people. We let you destroy people's lives. These are false Nevi'im. HaKadosh Baruch says we're going to take care of them. Look at Per Gimel. The third chapter. Vaumar Shimunar Rashi Yaakov. Listen to me, you leaders of Yaakov. Bet Israel, you officers of the house of Israel. So he's nicer than the other Nevi'im have been. The last time we heard Ktsinim, the officers of Sdom we heard. This time at least it's Ktsinei Israel. Halolachem ladat et mishpat. It's up to you to know the law. Sonei tov vohaveira. These words are so fitting for our generation. People who love evil and hate good. Other way, they hate good and they love evil. They've devoured my people. They literally ate their flesh off their bones. Not literally, actually. 
אז יזעקו על אדוני ולא יענה אותם, ויסתר פניו מהם בית ההיא כאשר הראהו מעל עליהם. And these people, these evil people will cry out to me, says the Kaddosh Baruch Hu, and I will not listen to them. I'm not going to listen to their prayers. Just like they hid from HaKadosh Baruch Hu when they did evil, HaKadosh Baruch Hu can return the favor and hide from them when they need his help. This is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu said about the prophets, the leaders that misled my people. Pasuk hey. Hanoshchim b'shinehem v'karu shalom v'asher lo yiten al pihem v'kitshu alav milchama They misled my nation who chew with their teeth and declare peace but does not put food into their mouth and they prepare war against him. Lachen laila lachem mechazon וחשכה לכם מקסום ובא השמש על הנביאים וקדר עליהם היום. ובושו החוזים, and these prophets, let's call them prophets, they're false prophets, they'll be embarrassed. וחפרו הקוסמים, and they'll become disgraced, these sorcerers. ועטו על שפת כולם, כי אין מענה אלוהים, הקדוש ברוך הוא is not answering them. That's how disgraced they'll be. You also have some positive involved here by the Navi Micha. If you look in Peri Dalet, Vaya Bachit Haimim will be in the end of days. Yehar Bet Adonai Nachon Berosh Harim. The house of Hashem will be there properly in its place in the mountains. Venisahu Migvaot. ונהרו עליו עמים, and the nations will flock to the Ben Amikdash. והלכו גויים רבים, and many nations will come, ואמרו, they will say, לכו ונעלה אל הר אדוני, let us go up to the mountain of Hashem. ואל בית אלוהי יעקב, let us go to the house of the God of Yaakov. ויורנו מדרכיו, ונלכה באורחותיו, there will be a mass flocking of גויים, to עם ישראל. We wish to learn from the ways of עם ישראל, the ways of הקדוש ברוך הוא. And then this famous pasuk, Ki mitzion tetzeh Torah, Udvar Adonaim Yerushalayim, because from Tzion will come forth Torah, the word of Hashem from Yerushalayim. Veshafat ben amim rabim, Vochiach legoim atzumim adrachok, Vechitetu charvot lehem leitim, Vechanonotihem lemazmerot, Lo yisugoy el goy cherev, Vole ilmedun od milchama. More famous pasukim. They'll beat their swords into plowshares. They'll turn their weapons, What's a sword? What's purpose does it serve? Destruction. And they'll beat them, they'll change them into something that helps the world. Plowshares. Something that brings good to the world. That does something good in this earth. The nations will no longer lift a sword against each other. And they'll no longer... No, they'll not learn war anymore. They won't go to learn how to fight and how to kill. They won't need it anymore in this world. Every person will sit under his vine, under his fig tree. There'll be no reason to be afraid because Hashem has spoken. 
All the people in the world will go in the ways of their God. And we will walk forever in the path of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There's a famous Gemara in Masechet Makot on page 24a. The Gemara there lists a number of different Nevi'im. I'm not going to talk about all of them right now. How many mitzvot do we have in the Torah? 613. It's famous. 613 mitzvot. 613 mitzvot. And the Gemara says, Bamicha vehemidan al-shalosha. Micha came along and he condensed the Torah. He, he stood up for three main mitzvot. Not the Chaz he got rid of the rest of the mitzvot. But he put emphasis. He focused on these three mitzvot. How do you fix the problems in the world? How? Look in Perig Vav, chapter 6. If you remember reading this, it's because we recently read it. In Balak, Haftarat Balak, we read this and I gave a shiur then about this. Perg Vav, Pasuk Vav, 6, 6. Bama Kadem Adonai, Ikaf Lelohem Arom. You ask, says the Kadosh what should I come to HaKadosh Baruch with? What should I offer HaKadosh Baruch HaKadimenu Be'olot, Ba'agalim, B'nei Shana, should I offer him all kinds of sacrifices, all kinds of fat uh, cows that I'm going to offer him. Ha'yirtzeh Adonai ba'alfei elim b'rvavot nachalei shamen. Does HaKadosh Baruch need thousands of dead animals and rivers of oil? Is that what HaKadosh Baruch needs? Ha'eten b'chori pish'i privitni chatat nafshi. Should I give over my firstborn to atone for my averot? Higid lecha adam atov. I will tell you, human being, son of man, what is good for you. What is HaKadosh Baruch Hu asking from you? Do that which is just. Love kindness. And walk humbly with Hashem your God. Three things I'm asking from you. Do justice. Love chesed. Love kindness. And walk humbly with Hashem your God. Came Micha Hanavi and said, the Torah boils down to these three principles. Law and order is important. Law must exist. You must have order. It can't be that everybody could do whatever they want. On the other hand, Havat chesed. There has to be kindness in the world. Just be a little bit humble. You look around the world and you say, where has humility gone? People brag about themselves so much. Everything they do, they do for other people. Somebody once said the reason why they don't accept donations in Jewish organizations for toilet paper is because they didn't want to put a plaque on each square of toilet paper. People donate money for a plaque. They need a plaque somewhere. They need a building on their name. They have to do a mitzvah, but everyone has to know about it. 
Walk modestly, humbly with Hashem your God. If you're doing what's good, so do it. Chachamim give us three concrete examples of these three categories. Asod Mishpat Zahadin. Do what is just, that's law. There has to be law. Avat Chesed, Zegimilut Chasadim. How do you do kindness? Do acts of kindness to each other. I don't need a book for that. Help people out. I read a story recently about somebody who was in the grocery store. It's COVID. People are losing their jobs, losing their businesses. This person realized their card, it was declined. Another card was declined. They said, let me pay for you. No, let me pay for you. What's going to happen? So you lost $80? $80 and you saved somebody else's life. For $80, you can save someone's life? Who wouldn't give $80 to save someone's life? Chesed. The world. Olam chesed yibaneh. The world lives on chesed. How much of Am Yisrael is focused? But I speak harsh to Am Yisrael because it's my people. The world can listen to this message also. You follow the law. You have a family. You have... You go work every day, you bring back a paycheck, you pay your bills, you pay your rent, you do everything you need to do. That's mishpat, you did it already. What about chesed? When do you do the things that you have to do also? But we always think we're doing people a favor. Somebody just showed me now, I believe his name is Rabbi Aharon Mendel HaKohen. I think that's his name. He was the Ashkenazi chief rabbi of Cairo in Egypt. You know, there's a big Ashkenazi community in Egypt for many years. The Batedin Asfaradim also had an Ashkenazi Bedin there. And he writes tzedakah. The word tzedakah is from the word of tzedek. It's what you must do. It's what you must do. It's not tzedakah, charity. I'm doing you a favor. Tzedakah, it's, it's what's tzedek. It's what the correct thing to do is. Now, Kadosh Baruch Hu gives you money, and part of that money you give to somebody else. HaKadosh Baruch gives you food, some of that food you take care of for somebody else. That's tzedakah, it's what's right, it's the way the world functions. Our parents once told me that Min Hadin, if people understood the world properly, when someone comes and asks for money from you, I don't know, you walk into Costco or someone's collecting money in the parking lot, you, you go wherever you are, someone finds you asking for money. And you give them a dollar, whatever you give them. Who should say thank you? You or the poor person? How does it work in the world? Who says thank you? Normally the one who's receiving says thank you. God bless you. But really you should say thank you. This person gave you an opportunity to do chesed. This person just gave you a mitzvah. If I would give you as a gift a lulav and a tov, you would say thank you to me? I think they got a security guard in the complex. If I were to give you love and a talk, here, take a gift from me. Well, who would say thank you, me or you? That's a question. If I give you a love and a talk as a gift, who would say thank you? You would say thank you. If I give you matzot for Pesach as a gift, who would say thank you? 
If a poor person comes and gives you the mitzvah of tzedakah, who says thank you? We say thank you because you gave me the mitzvah of tzedakah. I didn't have it until you came here. If someone understood the world, properly understood the world, that's, what, that's how it would work in the world. How many people are wealthy? They have money and money and money and they still go to work every day. They have money and they die. And their money goes to their kids who spend the rest of their life fighting over it. And who makes all the money? The lawyers take all the money. Or the Pelevet says someone saves money and saves money and never gives anybody to the God. Doesn't help anybody because it. He saves money, he builds himself a big house, he keeps all his money in his bank account, and then he dies and his wife marries somebody else, and that guy lives on his bank account. So what, you saved all your money for your wife's next husband? Yeah, in the Khan. What happens when a person has all this money and then you talk to them in the grocery store. They say, oh, you know, I'm leaving my will to the cat foundation to take care of stray cats. Oh, but I take care of cats as a mitzvah also. What about the stray human beings? What about them? You might not like it, but in any city that you live in right now, San Diego, Los Angeles, New York, Yerushalayim, wherever you are, every city that you're in right now, has people, human beings, someone's children, who are sleeping in the streets right now. It's cold, so you put on the heater in your house. It's cold, so you put on a jacket. They don't have a heater and they don't have a jacket. It's easy to blame them. Ah, they're poor because of this, because of that. You never want that. If you were in that situation, somebody would speak to you that way. There are human beings that are stray in the street. And who takes care of them? I saw now in Yerushalayim, I'm part of this group, I told you, Yerushalmim and Yerushalmiyot. Some people have put out, you know, you have a store, let's say, on the main street, you have a store, Governor Drive. As you have electricity here, so you put an extension cord outside, and you put a refrigerator there. You know, like when you go to the grocery store, there's those clear refrigerators. You can see what's inside. And people put food there. So you have, uh, before Shabbat, in my house, my sins, I'm telling you now. Thursday night, we go buy food for Shabbat. I come to the refrigerator, and I find there are tomatoes there from last week that I didn't finish yet. There's some cilantro, that there's some whatever else there, some whatever that we didn't finish. But now I have to make new food. Why? Because it's the way the world of waste works. So what do you do? You take those things. They're good things. They're closed. You go downstairs to the refrigerator, you put it there. Anybody who wants can take whatever they need from this refrigerator. You own a restaurant. Food is finished. It's, you know, you go, you ever been, it's not a kosher anymore. You go to coffee or Starbucks and you see the sandwiches there. At the end of the day, when those sandwiches have a date, they're not spoiled, you just can't sell them anymore. They throw them to the trash. All of those things they throw in the trash. They're closed, they're sealed, they're packaged. Trash. These business owners come to these refrigerators and put the food there. Anybody who needs can take them. From what I understand, the refrigerators are being emptied out all day long. They're being emptied. People are taking from them. The world needs help. Chesed. The world will not function without chesed. It's an interesting thing what Chachamim tell us. Two unique mitzvot. How they have to do with tzniut, 
Maybe a different discussion for a different time. That's the expense of marrying off somebody who can't afford to get married. And the Levayat Hamid. Escorting a person who's dead. A funeral. Two expenses. Marriages and funerals. That even though we normally don't think that they have much to do with each other, they have a lot in common with each other. Aside from the humor involved, what they have to do with each other. Somebody once said that, why by the, by the Levaya, the coffin has two poles, and in the chuppah, the, it has four poles. Because so by one, you're burying one person, and by the chuppah, you're burying two people. It's the same thing. But that's not the emet. The emet is, these are things that are in common. They're, they're high-pressure moments in a person's life. Do you know how many times it happens a person passes away? Their children don't have money to bury them. Do you know how much it costs to have a Jewish funeral in San Diego? Do you know the number? Throw me a throw out a number. Someone dies, how much money does it cost to put them in the ground? How much? It's, it's between sixteen to twenty thousand dollars. Here. Sixteen to twenty thousand dollars. And when do they need payment? Now. Now. It's not tomorrow. There's no payment plan. Now. Don't answer if the answer is yes. How many of you have $20,000 just sitting around in your house? To get involved in these kind of expenses. To help out people. I was in Mansi. In the Berkneset of Hasideh Karlin. My brother-in-law prays there. I went with him. Shabbat morning. And right, I don't know if it was right before Kriyat Torah, right after Kriyat Torah, the Gabai gets up in the Berakneset and says, by orders of the stolen Rebbe, we're not going to continue tefillah. Nobody's going home until we get X amount of money. That's a great fundraising move. No lunch until you pay his money. What was happening? It turns out there was a family in Givadzev in Yerushalayim where this is, I'm telling you, probably f- four years ago. Maybe a little more. I don't remember exactly. Where the... F- the father had died. Yeah? The father had died. And he left behind his children who were paying the Chema Kadijah. They were paying them money. to bear, You know, they had payments. I guess over there in Yerushalayim they had that option. And they were still paying their payments. And then the son of this man died. And he left behind nine orphans and a wife who didn't have money to pay. They called the Chavra Kadisha, come pick up the body. We need to do, in Yerushalayim, we do a funeral even the same night. If someone dies now, even two o'clock in the morning, we'll do a funeral. We don't wait in Yerushalayim. Chavra Kadisha left the body in the house for three days. They're not coming. You didn't pay for the father. It's not fully paid. We're not opening up another account to pay for the son. Nine children and a wife and a house with a dead body. This is Amisra. This is why Amisra behave. It's business. Business is business. The Rebbe heard about it. It was Erev Shabbat. So we're not, nothing is happening until we pay off this expense. And I remember. That's two funerals. I remember the Hasidim, they're getting up. Every person bid $1,000. Every, the people are not people. You know, uh, no offense to the Karliner community, but they're not from the rich Hasidim. My wife always says, there's a saying in, in Karlin that, how do you join? 
You, to first join the Hasidut, you have to lose all your money. Then you can join the Hasidut. But people put money, and they buried that family. Chesed and Emet. By weddings, things are a little different. Yes, true, in some communities, there's still a lot of pressure. How you do a wedding, how much a wedding costs, how much it looks, who you're trying to impress. How much does a wedding cost? I don't want to tell you because I never married off a child in San Diego, but if I'm not mistaken, a kosher wedding in San Diego for not so many guests could easily run you $50,000. Easily. One of my rabbis, Rabbi Shlomo Katin, was once invited to do a, a wedding in Greece. You know, they call them destination weddings in Greece. Okay, it's interesting. How do you get food? Now that was it. Okay, they made it work. Not only did they make it work, the rabbi told me that this couple or their parents paid for the 80 guests who came. They paid for their flights, their hotels, and their food. So you get an invitation to the wedding in Greece and from New York, and they pay your tickets, your hotel, and your food. I said, that's a crazy amount of money to spend on a wedding. He said, you don't understand. They got off cheap. I said, cheap? Imagine right now, just think about it. 80 flights to Israel with hotels and food. Just think about that. How much it costs you, just you and your, your spouse to get to Israel. And how much, think about 80 of them. He said from the community, they were part of the Syrian community in New York. He's in the community they're in, a basic wedding starts at about a quarter of a million dollars. Basic, entry level wedding. $250,000. I wasn't there. I don't know. I can't tell you. But from what I have shared the story before, and nobody was impressed. He said, so any wedding that's less than 200, this wedding I think they told me was about $180,000. $180,000 is cheaper than $250,000. They gave them $70,000 to buy a car. I don't know what they gave them. <laughs> Mercedes, Lexus, BMW, a portion of what they bought over there. But this happens in Ma'asim B'chol Yom every single day. Walk modestly with Hashem your God. I think that in some ways the modern world has already advanced. I'm going to say something that I probably shouldn't say. Has advanced in ways that other religious communities haven't. I'll tell you what I mean. In some religious communities for two people to get married they have to have a certain amount of money. Think about Israel, for example. You're in the ultra-Orthodox community. You're a girl. You want to get married. I don't know why they call young ladies girls. She's a young lady. She wants to get married. She's looking for a yeshiva guy. A professional guy with no profession. How much money is it going to cost for her to get married? Why her? Because in 2020, the girl still has to pay all of these expenses. It's like you're still trading cattle. How much money does it cost? What are the expenses that she has to pay? I have to pay for a wedding. In many communities, that falls only on one side of the family. Let's pretend they split it down the middle. So what's half of $50,000? Okay. Next. In Israel, at least, in the Haredi community, the girl's parents have to buy, if he's a learning boy, that's what they call them. When a learning boy is? The definition of a learning boy in the ultra-Orthodox community is if you would bring him a Shulchan Aruch and ask him a question, he wouldn't know the answer. That's the definition of a learning boy. Hava Peret said, every Bechul Yeshiva is Becheskat Am Haaret. 
every uh, yeshiva student is in the uh, certain about him that he's an ignoramus. If he wasn't an ignoramus, he wouldn't be a yeshiva boy. The best and the brightest. Tanakh, he doesn't know. Mishnah, maybe a little bit, he knows. Musa, he doesn't know. Halakha, he for sure doesn't know. So because he studied a little bit of Bavakama, that now makes him a learning boy? A boy, maybe. A boy, I agree, he's a boy. So you have to buy him an apartment. If you're also a learning dad, where do you buy money? Where do you find money to pay eight children in their apartments? Think about how long it took you to buy your home, if you even bought a home yet. Imagine having to do that nine times over. One for yourself and eight for your sons-in-law that don't work. So what happens? A girl comes from a family that doesn't have enough money. It's possible that she'll never get married. It's possible she will never get married. Or if she gets married, you should hear the embarrassment. This is a, person, a smart person. A smart, intelligent, bright, beautiful person. We have a guy, he's 73 years old, divorced five times, he doesn't have a leg. You want to marry him? That's what happens. Today, outside of the Jewish world, or maybe there's uh, insular communities other than us that still have these plagues, that doesn't exist. In America, two people can go meet at the bar in the airport. One guy is from a family of billionaires, the other one is, uh, grew up homeless in a homeless shelter, and the two of them can get married. Nobody's going to stop them. If they want to get married, nobody's going to stop them. And how much does it cost them to get married? I don't know, $35 in the San Diego County office. Maybe if they really want to show off, they'll travel to Las Vegas with Elvis Presley and do a, a drive-through wedding with Elvis. Add another $300. It's got to keep it here, jailed. So how could it be that in our community we're still struggling with modesty that the world has already accepted? Things that need to be fixed. Let me read to you a few more nevot and we'll call it a night. Bezal Hashem. Perak Zayin is one of the most telling pesukim. Perakim uh, here. Woe to me that I'm like the last pickings of the summer fruits. What happens at the end of the summer with the fruits over there? Yeah, they're rotten, and whatever's left is left. You know, you're going to pick this last fig, and there's no more figs coming. You're going to pick these last fruits, and it's done for the season. You know, you're the last one. You know the pressure? I once spoke with a Tamikham, I won't mention their name, who said the tremendous pressure they feel knowing that the next generation of Tamil Chamim don't have Yerat This Tamikham told me, I feel like I'm from the last generation of Tamil Chamim who also had Yerat And now I'm handing off the baton to people. I know that when I go, who's going to replace me? It's a fear, it's a pachad, it's a pressure. <laughs> 
עבד חסיד מן הארץ וישר באדם עין. חסידים, the devout people, the righteous people have disappeared from the world. And you cannot find any more honest people. They once asked the Kotzka Rebbe, where can you find a person who doesn't love money? You know, so you need to find a Tamil Khamim, they don't love money. Sonei Betza Kesef. Said the Kotzka Rebbe, for the right price, you'll find people who hate money. Kulam ledamim yerovu ishatachiu yatsudu kherem. Everyone lies in ambush to kill people. They trap, even brothers trap each other. Look in Pasuk. Vav. Kiven menabel av. Because in our generation, a child disgraces his father. Bat kama be'ima. A daughter rebels against her mother. Kala bechamota. A daughter-in-law rises up against her mother-in-law. I mean, that's, I don't know why the Navi is so surprised, but the reality. Oyvei ish anshevetom. Who are the enemies of people nowadays? Their own family are their enemies. The people of their house are the people they're afraid of. As for me, says the Navi, I'm putting my hope in the Kadosh Baruch Hu. I'm putting my hope that the Kadosh Baruch Hu will listen and answer me. We say this in Havdalah. Don't be happy, my enemies. Because I fell. Kamti, I will stand up again. Even though you see me now sitting in the dark, Adonai or Li Hashem is my light. Do you know times in my life I felt this pasuk? My lips, I say this pasuk a lot. Right now you see me in darkness. How many people in your life told you you're not going to make it to where you are right now? You won't be successful with what you're trying to do. And you did it. They looked at you like you were in the dark, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave you a light. Micha says the same thing will happen to good people. Don't say that because there's no more good people in the world, I should go be bad. Don't do that. Believe in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And if you do what's right, ultimately you will be validated. Of course, he's not telling you to stay with these people. The Rambam, you're right, the Rambam does mention that a person who is living in a bad place should move to another place where people are better. And if there's no place where people are better, he should just leave. Just go live in the mountains and the desert. Go away from human beings. Havapel told me that that's why most of the Nevi'im you find were pro- uh, they were sheep herders, they were cattle, grazing. why what were they busy with the animals all day? You're a Navi. It's because over there, the sheep, they don't steal from you. The cows don't lie to you. They don't hurt you. The chickens don't uh, uh, attack you. You can spend time with people. All these animals, they're not going to hurt you. You just have time to learn Torah, to speak with the Kedosh Nobody's going to take your money. They're not going to take your house. A cow never robbed a bank. A sheep never mugged somebody. They're honest creatures. Sometimes it's easier that than human beings. And then there's some ending pesukim here. These Pesukim we say in a few different occasions. Most commonly in the Minhag, this Minhag that's developed to say Tashlich. On Rosh Hashanah, these Pesukim are recited. 
Look how the book of Micha ends in Pasuk 18, chapter 7, Pasuk 18. Miel Kamocha, who is a God like you, Hashem? You forgive the Averod, you forgive all of the bad things that your nation does. Hashem doesn't hold on to his anger forever because he only wants good. Hashem tells us to do Chesed, he also does Chesed to us. The fact that we can do Teshuvah, the fact that we can change our life is a Chesed. He will once again show us compassion. He'll once again get rid of our averot. Hashem will take all our averot and throw them in the sea. Give truth to Yaakov. Show kindness to Abraham. Which you promised our forefathers many, many years ago. Micha perhaps ends off with a prayer. Sometimes you look at the world and you want to fix the world. You see all these problems and you lose hope. The first thing, don't lose hope. The first thing to realize that if you believe Hashem will come for you. And second, once you're done fixing and you're done solving the problems, what do you do? Your next job? Your next job is to pray. So much of the book of Micha, by the way, it's unusual in the rest of the books I didn't mention to you earlier. So much of the book of Micha is not stories and history and going to kings and to people. Most of the book are nevuot, and if you want to say even better than nevuot, most of the book is made up of shirot utfilot, songs and prayers. That's a prayer. We say this in our tefillah. Hashem, redeem Amisrael. We need you. We can't do this alone. We're doing everything we can, but we look at the world and we say, this world needs your help. My help is what I'm going to offer, but the world needs your help. If we do what's right, if we follow those three steps, mishpat, chesed, tzniut, and we don't concern ourselves with our enemies and say, who will come for us? will validate us, will shine light on us. The last step that we have to do for the rest of the world, once we're being proactive, once we have emunah, is to offer a tefillah. Tefillah. I believe that by praying for the world, I can fix this world. I believe that by yearning that a Kadosh Bahu should return or grant those promises He promised our forefathers, it's time, HaKadosh Bahu. It's time, Titen Emet Yaakov, Chesed Avraham, Asher Nishbata, Lavotenu Mimei Kedem, Bezat Hashem.